0: Teach you to listen and apply. It's what we've been talking about for the last thirteen weeks as we walk through the first twenty-four chapters of Jeremiah. That 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 God's word has been delivered to His people over and over and over and over again, so that they might listen and apply the truth of His word. And if they would listen and apply the truth of His word, and as if we would do the same thing, our, our lives would be so much better. I have laughingly shared with you the the wisdom that I've shared to my own children that the older I get, the more my dad was right. And if I'd have come to that conclusion earlier, my childhood would have been so much better. And and my my kids are both in their 20s now, and and I I still try to impart to them the importance of, of listen to dad and apply what he's saying to your life listen to me before you make that really bad decision that sounds like a good idea to your 20 year old not fully developed mind just listen to me on this one and apply what i have to say to you it was it was the same advice that david gave to solomon over and over again listen to my words son and do what i tell you to do and things will work out like they're supposed to do you, are you familiar with that do you, do you have something in your mind where you understand where, where someone has said, if you will listen to what I say and do as I tell you, things will be just fine? Many of us have the other side of that, where I have told someone to do something, and they said, yep, I got it, and did exactly the opposite. And they didn't just do it, they did it with, with fervency, right, with, with enthusiasm. I mean, this is the, the life of teenagers for those of you who are walking that mile and for those of us who have already walked that mile. You can tell them all day long everything. I, I, I used to take kids on mission trips at the last church I served at. And, and I remember I took 68 kids to, to uh, Costa Rica for a week. And, of course, everybody's like, you're a crazy person. I'm like, you're right. But nobody said I had to bring them back, right? And, and so I, I take these kids and I spend a lot of time with these kids during, during the week. And and I'm imparting God's truth to their lives. I'm telling them about about why we serve the way we do. I'm telling them about the the universal truth of the gospel that transcends languages and cultures and geography. That the good news of Jesus Christ was for all mankind. Even and especially in Costa Rica or wherever we may go. And, And as I'm imparting and I'm telling these kids, we get back to where we are, and the next Sunday, we, we were back in the States, the next Sunday, one of the dads comes up to me and goes, you've got to be the biggest jerk I've ever met. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are, man, but you're not wrong, but I don't know who you are to talk to me like that. And I said, well, sir, sir, what, 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 what's the problem here? And we're in church, right? He says, my son spends one week with you. And he comes back, and he goes, you know, Mr. Davis told me, da 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 And, man, I think he's right. He says, I've been telling this kid this for 17 years. You get one week with him. And all of a sudden, he agrees with you. And I said, isn't it interesting how the same message can be told and taught by others, and you hear it a little different or a different context, or maybe your guard is down in such a way that the truth finally corresponds with what you've been saying. That's why I really think that the the church especially, as much as I love our leaders and the people who pour back into the the various age groups, we're always the B team. Mom and dad, you're the A team, but the B team is there to back up the A team, right? To, To teach the same truths and the same things that are going on. This was the story in Israel for all those years. And so when you look through the Old Testament, you see the major prophets and the minor prophets. Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jonah, Hosea, Habakkuk. You see all these, and they all have a message from God to his people. And they're saying essentially the same thing, listen and apply. And the reason why they need to listen and apply is because God has good things to say to them. And he has the way of, of salvation for them. I started this series back in January, 13 weeks ago. And we're just now getting through chapter twenty-five of Jeremiah, and, and 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 when we started this, I stood up and I read to you. I actually made you stand for your trial, right? And some of you remember that it was rather uncomfortable for some. We actually, I remember we had guests that weekend, and we haven't seen them since. God bless them. I hope they found what they're looking for. I hope they found where God wants them to be. But but nonetheless, it was uncomfortable to have someone stand up and declare to you that you have worshipped false gods, you have worshipped idols, you have disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord has found you guilty. And here we find ourselves in in Jeremiah chapter 25 this week. If you want to turn to that, I encourage you to go ahead and do so. We find ourselves in Jeremiah chapter 25 where where, we're we're moving from the trial stage to the sentencing stage. And unlike the American justice system, uh, there's not really going to be much of a trial. There's really not much of a defense, especially when you're guilty. It's better just to, you know, admit your guilt and go on with that. But, but not unlike an American trial, what happens usually is that the charges against you are re-read so that you understand when the jury comes back. And so as you're turning that, I just want you to listen <laughs> and apply. Listen, to, listen to, to where we've been and some places we're going to go just for a moment and, and pick out some things just for a moment. To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? their ears are closed so they cannot hear the word of the lord is offensive to them they find no pleasure in it jeremiah 6 10 jeremiah eleven eleven. 11 therefore this is what the lord says i will bring on them disaster they cannot escape although they cry out to me i will not listen to them jeremiah eleven fourteen. do not pray for this people or offer any plea or petition for them because i will not listen when they call to me in their time of distress Jeremiah 16, 12, But you have behaved more wickedly than your ancestors. See how all of you are following the stubbornness of your evil hearts instead of obeying me. Jeremiah 17, 23, Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. Jeremiah 32, 33, They turned their backs to me and their faces, and not their faces, though I taught them again and again. They would not listen or respond to discipline. While you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called to you, but you did not answer. I warned you when you felt secure, but I said, I will not listen. This has been your way from your youth. You have not obeyed me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Jehonadab, son of Rechab, ordered his descendants not to drink wine, and this command has been kept to this day. They do not drink wine because they obey their forefathers' commands. But I have spoken to you again and again, yet you have not obeyed me. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says: Listen, I am going to bring on Judah and on everyone living in Jerusalem every disaster I pronounced against them. I spoke to them, but they did not listen i called to them but they did not answer what's so interesting about the book of jeremiah is dependent upon your translation from the niv or to the esv or the nasb dependent upon your translation the book of jeremiah and it's 52 chapters mentions listen hear hearken declare obey 45 to 75 times just in that one book the entire New Testament uses the same type of language less than 30 times combined. Jeremiah is going to preach to the, to, to the nation of Judah for 23 years before they're sent off in exile and for another 17 years after that. And over 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 again, he tells them to listen to the word of God and to apply it to your world. And over and over and over again, they ignore it. They go about their own way. Their hearts are filled with only doing evil. And they find themselves in a place where they all they had to do was listen and apply. All they had to do was listen and apply and it's one of the simplest yet hardest things for us to do, particularly when we just don't want to. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been given good advice in lots of different areas, and it is not uncommon for me to go, you know, that's a really good idea. I'm not going to do it, but that's a pretty good idea. That, that, That somebody, for whatever reason, might say something to me, and I choose to hear it, but not listen to it. I choose to to let the words or watch their mouth move but not obey it. And often that's my own pride, it's my own stubbornness, it's my own arrogance. It's just the fact that I don't like you. It doesn't matter how right you are. I just don't like you and I don't want to listen to you. I don't like the way you do this or the way you treat me this or this, this, this. It doesn't matter how good it is. I don't know how many times you've been driving down the road and you see all the warning signs that are out there. Slow down, wreck ahead, construction ahead. 35 miles per hour, $10,000 fine if you hit somebody in a work zone. Don't use your cell phone in a school zone. I I laugh every time I go by a school zone and there's somebody else pulled over and I'm going, 250 is not enough. How many times do you have to be told over and over? I mean, I get it. Some of you are slow learners. I am too. And and, and maybe you're kind of like Judah where you kind of get the boy that cries wolf a little bit. Well, here's this madman, Jeremiah, running around preaching the same thing for 23 years, and he's just going on and on, and God still hasn't done this, and God still hasn't done that, and and look, I'm starting to to believe that whatever Jeremiah has to say, that he's just trying to scare us, and this is just yet another conspiracy of the man trying to control us with fear. I, I get that. That's human nature. But but, but what the people don't get, and I think what we don't get sometimes, is that every time God extends one more opportunity to listen and apply, to repent of our sins, to turn away from evil and turn towards God, one, every time he does that is one more opportunity for grace. It's one more opportunity that he's saying, I have to judge sin, particularly unrepentant sin. But I'm giving you an opportunity to come under my discipline, to receive my discipline with love and with care and with compassion, not with wrath and with anger because your heart says, I really don't care about you. And every time he extends that out there, it's a measure of grace. And and, and we we, we don't listen to that in such a way we look at it and say, this is just an idle threat from God. Remember when your mom used to say, don't make me pull this car over? My mother was five foot four and right, mean as a snake i've said it that's how i describe her i love her and i'm still afraid of her this day she had a, a 1978 cadillac sedan DeVille. it was like a a land cruiser right like a like a ship on wheels right and it had a big bench seat and, and she would take she had these wooden sandals and she'd hit the cruise control on that car it was one of the first models you know that had cruise control on it. she'd hit the cruise control on that car and she would reach back there with that sandal over the bench seat and just go to swinging like she was riding a horse or something, you know? And it didn't matter which of the two of us were, were, were messing around in the back seat. Of course, we were like 80 feet from her, and she's just back there. She didn't care if she caught a face, an arm, a leg. It didn't matter because the worst thing that could happen is she actually did pull the car over because she would locked the doors, get out, Unlock the doors with the keys and jump in the back seat, and it was time to go, right? And at that point, punishment was inevitable because we did not listen and apply to what she had to say to us earlier than that. As I got a little bit older, I this may surprise you, I got a little bit more mouthy towards mom. And it got to where my mother would tell us, come over here so I can smack you. And my brother and I would walk over there, and she would smack the fire out of us. And my dad would look at us and go, what is wrong with you? And I said, Dad, if she has to chase us down, it's going to be worse. It's going to be worse. I may as well just go ahead and take my punishment now because she's probably right. I don't know what I did, but I'm sure I did it. Mom was not unfair in her discipline. And the funniest thing is when somebody says you ever discipline out of anger, you better believe she did. When don't you discipline out of anger? I'm just being honest with you. But behind that, there's also a love to say, I'm angry because I warned you. I'm angry because I told you. I'm angry because we've had this conversation over and over and over again, and it doesn't seem to really matter to you because you've, you've, you've watched my lips move, but you didn't listen and apply. And if you would listen to apply to what I'm saying to you, things might be a little bit better. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 and 18 tells us this. This is where I want to begin this morning, helping us to understand the importance of listening and applying. It says, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Friends, God's patience is not going to last forever. Judgment is coming and it begins with a household of God. In His love and in His care and His benevolence and His kindness and in His mercy and certainly in His grace, God tells us over and over and over again. And those who declare to be the people of God ought to know His voice because He is our shepherd and we ought to know His voice. And when we hear His voice, we ought to listen and apply. But when we do not listen and apply, it begins with us because we are both the example of what we ought to be doing, as the Lord calls us, and the example of what happens when we are disobedient and sinful. And I mean willfully disobedient and sinful. God's patience will not last forever. And his judgment is indeed coming, and it begins with the household of God. If you have your Bibles, look with me to Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 7. And this passage of Scripture begins like this. It says, "'The Lord came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon.'" So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to all those living in Jerusalem, for 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened. Listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourself. Four times in the first 14 verses of Jeremiah chapter 25, it says, you did not listen. You did not listen. Many years ago, I got a ticket because I had an expired inspection sticker. And I went down to the Justice of the Peace, and I tried to get that thing uh, deferred because I went and got the sticker. I was just late getting it done. I went to try to get it deferred, and we were all in a long line in a, in a room about half this size. And the young man at the very front stands up, and the, the judge asks him, what are you here for? He goes, like, I have a minor in possession charge against me. He goes, a minor in possession. How old are you? He goes, I'm 19 years old. He goes, okay. He says, it uh, looks like you're late getting this taken care of. How come you haven't got it done? Well, to be honest with you, judge, I really haven't had time. The judge said, you don't have time. He goes, no, I really don't. He goes, I'm I'm really just, I'm, I'm actually trying to get out of here now. Oh, is that right? He goes, I got an idea. Why don't you sit down at the back of the court, and when I'm done with everybody else, I'll hear your case. And the kid argued with him. And the judge says, are you familiar with the term contempt of court? No, no. And I remember this. He says, I am addressed as sir, your honor he says you're about to be very familiar with contempt of court so he set the young man at the very back of the room and as the next person stood up and I'm about eight people or so behind him he says for those of you who are wishing for leniency and mercy today that young man in the back of the room just took all of it five or six people later the young man is sitting up in the chair with his feet up in the chair bailiff Take this young man out. Three days. He got locked up for a minor in possession charge that he could have got deferred adjudicated, but because he did not listen and apply, he ruined it for everybody. Nobody got mercy that day. Nobody got grace that day. Nobody was gonna hear any extenuating circumstances because the judge got upset about the young man. But to be perfectly honest, nobody in that room was there because they were innocent everybody was guilty and deserved to be in that room today everybody as the prophet jeremiah declares the word back to judah and all those four times he says listen and apply listen and apply listen and apply you knew your inspection sticker. My goodness, you look at it every day you drive. It's got a date on there, big old numbers. You ought to know what date that is. You know you're not 21 years of age. You don't go in and, and have alcohol over and over again. This becomes a habit for you. You know this is what the law is because if you didn't know this is what the law was, why would you even bother to appear to the court today? And you did, and all these other things. Why were you doing 55 and a 35? doesn't really matter. You're going to get a big old ticket for it anyway. All these things happen because you did not listen and apply. And it doesn't matter if you agree with, or if you embrace, or, 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 or if you're in line with what God is saying. Just because you disagree with it doesn't mean it's tr- not true. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. And just because everybody else in society is doing it doesn't mean you have the right to continue and do it. Because God said, do or do not do this. The very first thing he said, listen to apply, is do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they did. And then he gave them ten commandments, and they broke every one of them. Then they said, hey, you know what? What we really need is more rules. Let's get 613 laws and see how good we do at listening and applying to those. Jesus came back and said, let me simplify this for you. Love the Lord your God. Love men. It, it's not it's not any more difficult than that, as, as though we try to make it that way. But yet in the process of all of this, God reiterated to them over and over and over again. And as Jeremiah said, for 23 years, I've been preaching the same message to you, asking you to run back away from your idols, to stop worshiping the things that your hands make, and, and to listen to God and apply. And if you do so, you can live in the land forever and ever. If you do so, you can live in the land forever and ever. As long as you're in my house, under my roof, it'll be my rules. There's nothing wrong with that. Because in my house and under my roof is everything you ever needed. No harm comes to you. Other nations around you look at you and they fear you because of the God you serve. And when you have disobeyed him, when you have disrespected him so willingly and so willfully, and you have refused to listen and apply, and the same message is given to you through Jeremiah, through some of the other prophets, over and over and over again, you find yourself that you're going to be in great trouble. The next couple of verses, you're going to see the clarity of what Jeremiah says out there. So, from verse 8 through verse 14, you'll see the clarity of what he's saying. And for the first time, he really clearly says that you're going to be removed from this land that you could have lived forever and ever had you listened and applied to what was going on. I'm going to judge you because my patience has run out, because you're the example, you're the household of God, and you're going to go to Babylon for 70 years. Now, this is fascinating to me. And the reason why it's 70 years, I believe the scripture speaks very clearly. Because Saul was the first king of Israel, and after him was David, and then Solomon, and then just a whole mess of good king, bad king, and split kingdoms and everything else. But from the time that Saul was put in as king to the time that they are exiled, 490 years will pass. About 268 years passes in the divided kingdom, but 490 years divided by seven is 70. Now, one of the Ten Commandments and also part of the covenant that God made with his children was to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And part of that honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy was that the land was to lay fallow every seven years so that it could replenish nutrients, so that it could give life. So because on the seventh day after God had created everything, he rested and he had a Sabbath. And the Sabbath was for the Lord. And they never observed that for 490 years. And now they're going to spend 70 years off the land and in exile. And the scripture says, in 2 Chronicles 36, it says, and the the land enjoyed its Sabbaths for 70 years. Now, I don't know about you, but I get a little bit frustrated sometimes when somebody commits a whole lot of crimes, they just get a little bitty sentence. I'm just going to be honest with you. I get frustrated by the way our laws are written because they're not equitable, and to be honest with you, they never will be as long as man is in charge. Never. When somebody murders somebody or kills somebody or a drunk driver gets behind the wheel and somebody else loses their life, I don't like when somebody gets out of jail five years later. I don't like that. That's not justice to me. But it's a good thing I'm not the one handing out justice, isn't it? In God's grace and his mercy, he says, you're gonna go away for 70 years and some of you are gonna die in exile and some of you are gonna come back and some of you are gonna be shamed. And the reason why some of you are gonna survive because I made a promise to you that the remnant of Israel would come back and live in the land of milk and honey and I'm gonna put the land back right that your sin destroyed for 490 years. It's gonna take 70 years for that to happen, which is gonna mean a couple of generations are gonna have to pass. And maybe, just maybe, this next generation will go, I hate it here in Babylon. This kind of stinks here. This Nebuchadnezzar guy is a bad dude. When do we get to go back to this place that you told me all about? See, discipline has a way of, of bringing us back to the goodness of God and what he said to us. And nobody likes discipline at the time. But I'll tell you something, when you have a disciplined life, when you understand, you even understand God's judgment upon you to say, you know what, God is being merciful because he could have just killed me. he let me live, and I suffered through this. And the reason why he did so, because his grace is so sufficient, it keeps calling me back. And every year I spend in exile, every moment that he hasn't decided to just snuff me out right there, is one more opportunity that God is saying, come back to me. My judgment is coming, and it's going to start with a household of God. Now, Babylon is going to be used as a weapon against Judah, but God even goes on to say, don't worry, they're going to get theirs in 70 years from now. Because God didn't side with Babylon. He used them to punish the unrepentant hearts of those in Judah and Israel. But they're going to get theirs eventually. And it's going to be really, really bad for them. Babylon is one of the few kingdoms that's mentioned repeatedly over and over and over in the book of Revelation. So you know it's got to be bad, right? Now for the unbeliever in the room. For those who have not quite figured out if this God thing is for real or if this Jesus is the person that he says he is. To be fair, for those who, who, who look at professed Christians and say, I don't want anything to do with that, they're a bunch of liars and hypocrites. For those of you who, who hear a guy like me preach God's word and, and something in your heart kind of hardens and your eyes kind of roll and you just kind of scoff at everything. I, I wish I could give you better news than this but I'm going to tell you the absolute truth that God's patience does not last forever and judgment is indeed coming and the unbeliever is not going to be spared. You see, one of the great mysteries that I find, particularly when I speak with people who are are not just agnostic, but antagonistic to the gospel, who are antagonistic to the truth of God's word, is there's, there's some sort of, of false security in that, well, if I don't believe that, then it, it cannot be true. If, if, if I don't believe that, it cannot harm me. It's kind of like going into a haunted house and knowing that it's all all staged and it's all acted out and those aren't real people and the chainsaw doesn't have a real chain on it but it doesn't matter when that dude jumps out you still scream like a little girl but you know it's not true right you know it's fake why do you have this emotional response to something that you know to not be true it is this profound mystery to me that if, if God's word is false, and if Jesus didn't die for the sins of all mankind, how anybody could be so antagonistic against something that does not believe, that doesn't exist. Like for the atheist, I am dumbfounded by the amount of faith required for an atheist to remain an atheist. It is fascinating to me how much faith you must have to declare something does not exist. And it still bother you. I, I I still don't get it. How does nothing bother you so badly? I, I'm not that sharp. But here's what I didn't know about the truth of God's word, is that his judgment is coming and the unbeliever is not going to be spared. And every chance that God pauses to not end it right there is an opportunity for grace. It was 70 years of exile for those in Judah That God was extending grace to them and trying to rebuild them and restore their soul and give them the land of milk and honey back as he promised to his ancestors. But he had to take them out of it because their sin was literally killing the land. And he wanted to give them nothing but good because that's all he gives. And for the unbeliever, however, look with me what Jeremiah 25 verse 15 says. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. God told Jeremiah, and I'm, we're not sure how he totally did this, that if his, if his scrolls went out and the word got out to, to all the unbelieving nations like Babylon and, and Nineveh and Egypt and, and, and the Romans that would be down the road, that there's one true God in all of Israel. And this one true God in all of Israel has a cup of wine that he's going to force them to drink, and it's going to be the, the wine of God's wrath. But there's another cup that's possible, and it's the cup of God's submission. And in these days, whenever someone would offer you a glass of wine, particularly a leader or someone of importance, when they would offer you a cup of wine and you drank that, it it was a submission to them saying, I trust you that this isn't poison. I trust you because you've invited me into your inner circle. I trust you because you have extended hospitality to me in such a way. And I am submitting to you as the authority of this place. But there's also another cup that the king brings in. It's a cup filled with God's wrath. And it overflows with unrepentant sin and the people that are there. Verse 25 says this, Then tell them, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, Drink, get drunk, and vomit, and fall uh, fall to rise no more because of the sword I will send among you. But if they refuse to take the cup from your hand and drink, tell them, This is what the Lord Almighty says, you must drink it. See, I am beginning to bring disaster on the city that bears my name, Jerusalem. And I will, uh, and will you indeed go unpunished? You will not go unpunished, for I am calling down a sword on all who live on the earth, declares the Lord Almighty. He finishes this thought in verse 32. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Look, disaster is spreading from nation to nation. A mighty storm is rising from the ends of the earth. And that time those slain by the Lord will be everywhere. From one end of the earth to the other, they will not be mourned or gathered up or buried, but will be like dung lying on the ground. I I want you to see that in these these verses here, what, what he's really saying is that Israel, you were supposed to be the light unto the nations. You were supposed to be declaring the goodness of your God and his tremendous love for you and for all people. You were supposed to go out and bring people to know this God and to serve him forever. You were supposed to go out and declare God's truth so that they might listen and apply that truth to their lives. And you did not do that. Now... God's revealed himself to all people and to all nations. And I believe that to be true to this day. He's done it through his creation. He's done it through the specificity of his word. He's done it through his son, Jesus Christ. And so on the day of judgment, no one will be spared because they didn't hear it. But even worse so for those who did hear it repeatedly over and over and ignored it. I've been on the mission field many, many places and I love to talk to missionaries and one of the things I love to ask them is tell me what is the hardest thing about being a missionary and they come back with the same answer every time, getting along with other missionaries. Fair enough. Some of those dudes are weird, man. It takes a certain personality. I said, well, what about the rest of your job? He goes, you know, the second thing and the hardest thing is for to, to feel like God said, go here, stay here, minister to these people, tell them about this Jesus, give them the gospel and they re- repeatedly ignore me for years and years and years and years and years and years. And I just cry out to the Lord, how much longer do I have to tell these people the same thing when the people down in the next village have never heard it once? And the answer comes back when I ask them, how do you reconcile that? They say, I listen to God's word and I apply it because he told me to be here. He told me to be here. He probably told somebody else to be over there. Unbeliever, listen to me in the room. I know who you are. Who benefits from declaring the truth of God's word and calling you to repent of your sins and receive salvation through Jesus Christ? Only you. This church doesn't benefit from that. My ego doesn't benefit from that. Your salvation is declared before the Lord. And when the cup of submission is given to you that your Lord and King and your creator presents and says, come be a part of my household, let me put my name on you. Let me put my covering over you. It's an invitation. It is a graceful invitation that over and over is repeated. But if you continue to ignore that, judgment is indeed coming. And the unbeliever will not be spared. And the cup of God's wrath will be poured out in its entirety. It will be poured out upon each and every person who rejects the good news of Jesus Christ. Who rejects the majesty of the one true God. I wish that were a much more hopeful statement to give out there. I really do. But I think it is dishonest. I think it is an outright lie to tell people you can believe whatever you want. You, you, You do you, bro. You have your truth and you be satisfied in that because it's just not true. It is a lie from the enemy designed to make you your own personal God, to make you above everybody else And the enemy needs only to get you neutralized. He doesn't even have to get you on his side. He just has to get you thinking, you know what, I'm fine. You know what, as long as I don't think this or believe this myself, as long as I say that as the fool says in his heart there is no God, I'm going to be fine. But one day you're going to be presented with the cup of God's wrath and there will be no escape. It is why we do what we do. It is why we are perfectly flawed people who are declaring the goodness of Jesus Christ to everybody we can. It's why we're not perfect yet. We're being made perfect in Christ. He's the only one who was perfect enough to take the sins for us so that we might listen and apply to the good news of Jesus Christ and share that with others so they too may have the freedom that we have in Christ. why I say to you this morning that God's patience will not last forever that judgment is coming but Jesus paid the price for you isn't that good news I mean that's really good news especially if you've ever stopped and just evaluated what he actually did for you and and how unnecessary it, it may seem for someone to give their life for you John chapter 18, verse 11 says this, Jesus commanded Peter, this is why they're in the garden, he's going to pray, he's already sent Judas off to betray him, they're in the garden, they're going to pray, and they're going to come illegally at night, they're going to seize Jesus, and he's in the garden, and it it says this, John commanded Peter, put your sword away, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Peter had gotten angry, and he used his his own earthly ideals, and he pulls out a sword, which, which I always find fascinating, he pulls out this sword from his sleeve and cuts this dude's ear off. Boy, there's a Christ follower for you, right? He is literally with Jesus, and he's taking out his revenge physically. Where's grace and mercy there, Pete? And Jesus says something fascinating. Put that away. If I wanted to, I'd call down a whole legion of angels to protect me. But instead... cup of wrath that was sent for the for the unbeliever to drink jesus said i'm going to drink it instead i'm going to take that for you matthew 26 verse 39 says going a little further he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed my father if it is possible may this cup be taken for me yet not as i will but as you will Verse 42, he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Jesus was not unaware of the heaviness and the weightiness of this cup. He was not unaware of what his father was asking him to do. He was not unaware of what the cross meant. It wasn't just the temporary shame. It wasn't just the the, the temporary death and the pain and the, the 40 lashes and the crown of thorns shoved upon his head. It was the weight of the sin of the world that was poured into that cup. And he took it and he said, Father, if there's another way, this is so heavy, but if this is your will, I'm going to drink this cup so that everybody else doesn't have your wrath poured out upon them. I'm going to do this for them. Believer, I've been calling you to repent for weeks and weeks and weeks. And what I've tried to reiterate over and over, that repentance is not an event, it is a lifestyle. It's something that we do all the time because we have all fallen short of God's glory. We all make mistakes. We all sin each and every day because we're being made perfect like Christ, but we're not there yet. And in that imperfection, one of the ways that we stay in line with who Jesus is and what he's done for us is that we repent. We take up our cross daily and follow him. We take the representation of that cross and what it meant was an unfair death to a perfect sacrifice for all mankind, and we repent of our sins. And we do so because it keeps us in right standing. We're not withholding anything from our God because he's withholding wrath from us, but he's pouring out his love. His cup does indeed runneth over, as the 23rd Psalm tells us. The unbeliever, I I just want to invite you to consider this for a moment. That God's patience will not last forever and that judgment is coming. What are you waiting for? What, What are you waiting for? Where does your pride get you? Where does your arrogance get you? Where does this hardened heart come from? harden your heart every once in a while but it's a scary day when the Lord finally has enough and hardens your heart for you because there's nothing like a cup of wrath to harden a heart there's nothing about having the judgment of God come against you and to feel it's unfair to feel that the burden is too much to feel like you deserve better than Did so so that you might not have to carry that with you. Jeremiah is going to continue to minister to these people for about 17 more years while he's still in exile. And the reason why he's going to continue to do that is because he's calling out to the people who are exiled outside of their land, outside of the land of milk and honey, who have all these crazy gods that are being forced down their throats all day long. He's going to continue to mess to, to minister to them because he's asking the same question: What are you waiting? me this morning as the band comes up? Father, I know that in this room today, there are those who who doubt the truth.